listening to the Christmas Eve podcast at Williamsburg Christian Church. We hope your Christmas was merry and hope you have a happy new year. Christmas is a lot of things for a lot of people. And one thing Christmas can often be about is stories. So I had a little story I wanted to share with all of us just tonight. It's a little-known story about a well-known writer and a poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who's often referred to as America's first great poet. He was a devout Unitarian, dedicated anti-slavery abolitionist and devoted family man, and he was no stranger to tragedy. Tragedies involving loved ones shook the foundations of the poet's life and became the poet's inspiration. He and his wife and two friends left for Europe in 1835, and soon afterwards, his wife Mary, she died. She died of a complicated miscarriage, and after sending her body back to Cambridge and later the burial, Longfellow decided that maybe the one way to overcome his suicidal depression, his doubt, his fears, was just to travel. Let all his cares go and travel. And so he did. And he met this beautiful, young, stylish, sweet woman in the Alps. Her name was Frances. He called her Fanny, Fanny Appleton. She became the great love of his life. 1843, they got married. This last and somewhat diminished stage of Longfellow's life and career began in 1861 when tragedy again hit his heart. In the midst of melting sealing wax, Fanny set herself on fire to her own gauzy cloth, and she was enveloped in those flames. She died. She died the next day. In his futile efforts to put the fire out, Longfellow burned himself terribly, burned his face, burned his hands. And if you've ever seen pictures of him, you'll notice his scruffy, scruffy beard. Well, he felt the best way to cover up his scars, at least on the outside, was to grow the beard. But he could not cover up the scars on the inside. While still grieving Fanny's death, the Civil War began. And when the Civil War began, his son left. Not only did his son leave to fight in the war, to fight for the Union, so did Longfellow's hope for a peaceful end to slavery. Charlie slipped away. He had a hunting accident and lost his thumb. Charlie, the son of Longfellow, desperately wanted to serve the cause of the Union. But he could not become the infantryman he desired to be because of his injury, so they placed him as a private in the 1st Massachusetts Artillery. And he, he proved to be a capable soldier, nonetheless, was promoted to second lieutenant. In this capacity, he fought at Mine Run Campaign at New Hope Church, Virginia in 1863. It was there that Charlie suffered a very, very desperate injury. He took a bullet to the shoulders, went down through his spine. He was rushed to Washington, D.C. immediately. Longfellow caught the news. Wasn't happy about the war anyway. Fanny was gone, and now a son hovers between life and death. Longfellow's faith in God continued to waver what faith he had. And he found, him play, he found himself in this place where he felt as though his family was being wasted, the war was completely useless, 
and God was all but dead. God was just silent. Silent. The world knows all too well the silence of God. Before the year of Jesus' birth, God's people had not heard a word from God for 400 years. Not a word, not a peep. Despite the prayers, despite the injustices, not a prophet, just silence. For 400 years, God's people heard nothing from God until Jesus Till the news about Jesus came. See, God's silence did not mean that God was not listening. God's silence did not mean that God was aloof to the condition of his people of the world. God's lack of response wasn't due to a lack of love, care, or concern. God simply had better plans. But for 400 years, despite the prayers, not a peep, despite the injustices, not a prophet, not a sound, just silence. You see, there are times when we feel that what is adequate isn't really adequate enough. There are times when we feel that we know what the sensible answer is. We find that it's not sensible enough. God could have sent a prophet in those 400 years, but a prophet could not adequately speak the mind and heart of God. God could have sent a prophet those 400 years, but a prophet could not secure forgiveness of sins. A prophet could not usher in a kingdom that would one day make all of the things that had been made wrong right. A prophet couldn't do that. God could have spoken and offered a word, but sometimes words simply fall short. Sometimes words cannot speak the passion of love. Because sometimes love just needs to be seen. Since a prophet wouldn't have had what it takes to secure forgiveness of sins, since a prophet wouldn't have what it takes to begin the eternal work of making all of the wrong things in this world, such as suffering and sorrow, right, God did something better. He became one of us. Since the spoken word wasn't enough, since the spoken word couldn't adequately sum up the heart and the love and the passion of God, He did something better. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. For 400 years, for 400 years, God's people had mistaken His silence for His absence, but He, he wasn't absent at all. For 400 years, God's people had mistaken His silence for inactivity, but God was working. He was moving. And all the while, He was listening. In a most unlikely and unimaginable way, God utterly broke the silence when in the first Christmas, His Son, the King of Kings, was born in a messy stable to clean up our messy lives and restore a very messy world. In the first Christmas, God proved that even in what seems to be a silence, He is listening. Even in His silence, He is moving. He's just listening and moving and working in a way far different from we are, what we are capable of imagining. Yet when he listens, when he moves, when God works, even in what may seem to be his silence, he is always listening, moving, and working for our good, for his glory. As Longfellow sat nursing his son through this long Christmas Eve, 
He reflected upon the meaning of life. And he reflected upon the meaning of Christmas. At daybreak, he was roused on Christmas Day from his inner search of faith and doubt and hope and hopelessness by the sound of church bells announcing that Christmas Day had arrived. It was a symbolic call to Longfellow, and he responded with a poem, as every poet would do. And this poem speaks of faith and doubt, war and peace, and it's a poem many of you may be familiar with called Christmas Bells. And this is what he wrote. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And thought how as day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Sadly, Longfellow would fail to come and see the beauty and the depth that is Jesus Christ. Or at least so the story goes. He would fail to see that Jesus Christ would indeed be the one who would absolutely ensure that the wrongs would ultimately fail and the right would ultimately prevail. And those of us who are called Christians, those of us who, who choose and believe and follow this Savior, this King, we believe that the wrongs will ultimately fail and the right will ultimately prevail. We believe that because of Christmas. Because in that first Christmas... God, in a very small and quiet way, in a very small and quiet stable, located in a very small and quiet town, utterly broke the silence. It's as if Isaiah's words actually came to life in Isaiah 42. God said, this is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring his justice to the nations. He will right the wrongs. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised weed and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth, until he has made all that has been made wrong right. On Christmas Eve, we celebrate a king who introduced himself to us as a baby. On that first Christmas, in a messy stable that led to a cross on a hill, and that cross on a hill led to a tomb in a garden, and that tomb was found empty and still is 
Because Jesus, the baby, though fully man, he was fully God. He grew up to be a king. And he grew up to prove that he was death proof. And because he's death proof, he proved himself to be fail proof. God broke that silence in a profound way. On that first Christmas, we are reminded that the Son of God became a man so that we could become sons and daughters of God. On that first Christmas, we are reminded that He became the Son of Man so that God could dwell in man. The 400 years before the first Christmas, God remained silent. Not a word, not a prophet, not a peep. But in that first Christmas, we are reminded that even in His silence, God is listening. He is working. He is moving for our good and for His glory. In that manger... Wrapped in a blanket, we see grace. In that manger, we see mercy resting for the hearts of men, for the hearts of women. You may be here tonight, and I have come to believe that Christmas is not a happy occasion for everyone. And you may think, if you're Deborah, preacher, why do you like that Longfellow Christmas story? It seems kind of sad. Well, let's be honest. The world's in a mess of a place, isn't it? The world needed light. And that light was the life of men. See, there's many of us who feel as though God is silent. But know this. He's never silent. He's listening. He's moving. He is working. He's just listening and moving and working in ways that you and I are absolutely incapable of comprehending. He's moving and listening and working in a way that is far more adequate and, yes, maybe even sensible than we could ever imagine. He proved it on that first Christmas. See, God proved that he knew what he was doing that first Christmas in that Christ child. And you know what? He still does. He still knows what he's doing. Let us rejoice in the life that comes from the Christ child who lived the life we could not live, who died the death we should have died, and who overcame the greatest enemy of man, death, we could never overcome. There's a lot of talk about keeping Christ in Christmas. I get that. But let me encourage you today. If you really want to keep Christ in Christmas, then keep him in your heart. Keep him in your life. Listen to his call. Remember, God knew what he was doing that first Christmas. And he still does. And he always will. That's Christmas. That's what we celebrate. Let's pray. (laughs) 